We're going to be in John chapter 18, so if you will pull out your Bible, turn your Bible on, or if you don't have a a device or brought one with you, there should be Bibles in the seat racks uh, underneath the chairs in front of you, but we want to get into God's Word together. We've been going through the Gospel of John as a church this year since Easter. We are in chapter 18 This week, the idea, as we've shared, is we're going through about a chapter a week on Sundays and then encouraging the church to be meditating and studying that chapter during the week that we might lean into Scripture together, that we might encounter Jesus in a fresh way together here in 2022. Uh, John has 21 chapters, so we have a few more weeks in the Gospel of John. And today we turn uh, in the story to Jesus moving from his high priestly prayer, which we studied last week, to Jesus being uh, sold into, betrayed by his disciple Judas and taken into being tried, eventually crucified in John 18. Jesus is tried. At the beginning of John 19, he is sentenced to the death of crucifixion. So that's where we're going to be this morning. And I wanna ask you a question as we get started. Uh, if someone were to ask you about Jesus' life and you were to think about, hey, how would I, if I was telling the story of Jesus, what would I include in there? Well, we probably all have some favorite aspects of his life, favorite stories from the Gospels, the historical accounts of the life of Jesus that we love. So some of you might include, well, there's the, let me tell you about his birth. Let me tell you about the incarnation. Others might say, don't forget the Sermon on the Mount. We've got to have this Sermon on the Mount. Maybe some healing, some miracles, Jesus multiplying food. What would you include in there if you were to explain to someone about the life of Jesus, right? We probably all would have some different stories that stick out to us from the Gospels. But probably all of us, we might have some different stories along the way, but probably all of us would try and get something in there about Jesus dying on the cross and being uh, raised to new life, raised to life. We probably all have that in the story. It's a significant part of the story of Jesus and what his life means for all of us. But second question, if when you're telling the story and you're talking about Jesus being crucified, If someone were to ask you, well, why did Jesus die? Why did Jesus die on the cross? If you're you're young in here, I'm asking you that question. If you're old in here, I'm asking that question. How would you answer that question? If someone were to ask you, so why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus die on the cross? What I find is what we would fill in the blank there. We, we, We might, maybe some of us would be like, well, Probably say something about sin. Jesus died for our sins. And they're like, okay, well, what does that mean? Might might struggle a little bit, right? To articulate, well, why is this so significant? What, What really happened there? And so as we come into John 18, 19, and 20, what I'd like to do today is to spend time uh, on why did Jesus die on the cross? What was going on there? What was happening? Not just the historical event, but what does this mean for our life? What does this mean for why is Jesus so significant to us? So the title of this message is the language of redemption, the language of redemption. 
Now I've heard this, I don't know if it's true. Some of you could fact check me as we go, but I've heard that Eskimos uh, have a number of different words for snow. What I've heard is that they have seven different words for snow because snow is such an important part of their way of life. Their life and their culture, you can't tell their story without telling the story of snow. So they have different words to describe different kinds of snow. We here in Texas, we have one word to describe snow, and that is snow. Snow is not a big part of our story. If you're very cultured, you might include sleet in there. Maybe we have two. You might have two. We don't have seven words about snow because it's not a big part of our life here in Texas. Now, we do have, as Jack, uh, who's running the lights, pointed out, as Texans, we have seven to 10 to maybe 15 words to describe, not snow, but heat. We have a lot of words to describe heat and the different types of heat that happen at different points in the year because heat, you can't tell the story of Texas without telling the story of it gets really hot here. Our life is built around heat in Texas, snow in Alaska. Right, you guys with me? Uh, <clears throat> when we talk about Jesus though, it's important for us as his followers to understand uh, more than just one word to describe what Christ's death on the cross meant. In fact, the scriptures are loaded with different ways of describing the significance of Jesus dying on the cross. As followers of Jesus, we're not limited to just one word because his death is so significant. Scripture shows us and the church has held a number of different ways to describe the impact or the language of redemption, what Jesus's redemptive death means for us. There's no one word in the English language that is sufficient to capture the full weight and meaning of how awesome and impacting the death of Christ is. So there are a number of words that scripture uses. And my hope for us as followers of Jesus is that we would increase our fluency in those words. That today we might expand from maybe one answer uh, that scripture would hold as to why Jesus died, what was the meaning of, but we might be broadened in our understanding. Not so that we could win a Bible trivia contest and show people how much we know, but so that we might experience more of the rich life that Jesus has for us, that we might encounter him in fresh ways, that we might build our life on his life in new ways as we build our understanding and revelation of why Jesus died on the cross. So you guys with me, I wanna go through some of the ways from scripture that John here in the Gospel of John teaches us to understand not just that Jesus died on the cross, but why? What is going on? Why is this so significant? I would encourage you to write these down. And this week, as you're reading in John chapter 18, that you would let these deepen your understanding of who Jesus is and what he has come to do. So first example, and this is what I grew up with, I imagine some of you did as well, is the idea that Jesus' death on the cross was a moral example of the way that we are to love and to live. That that was one of the reasons why he died. And certainly John holds that out to us. In John chapter 15, Jesus says, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. So when we think about Jesus dying on the cross, 
We can think of him as being, yeah, that is an example of, of what love looks like and the type of love that we're to have. That's the example I grew up with. That would have been the one answer that I had as a child and as a teenager and into my college years of what, what does it really mean? I didn't know that much, but I knew that this was like an example of how we were supposed to live. Are we able to put that slide up that lists the, the examples? Do we have that available? It's up. Perfect. It's not up on my screen, but I'm glad you guys can see it. I have it here. It's great. So Jesus is a, a moral, moral example to us. But again, John doesn't limit it there. He doesn't stop there. He, he gives us more than just Jesus was a good teacher, right? And this is really important for us to understand. Jesus was the greatest teacher that ever lived in human history. Amen? Amen? But our need as people was for more than just new teaching. We needed more than just an example for us to follow. The world is so broken, both without, when we look around us, and within, that we had a deeper problem than I just needed some more education. I just needed a better example. So yes, Jesus is an example. His death is an example for us, John 15. But there's much more that his death means for a follower of Jesus. At the beginning of John, if you'll remember back to right after Easter, we read John the Baptist when he sees Jesus. What does he proclaim? His first words out of his mouth, he says, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John chapter one, verse 29. And so we see in Jesus, one of the ways that John shows us why is his death so significant is it's not just a historical event. It's not just an example, but that Jesus is the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. And here we see Jesus, his death explained through the language of sacrifice and the sacrificial system. That humans, one of our responses, whether uh, uh, God's people, the, the Jews, or just various religions, have had sacrificial systems that we have chosen to kill various animals as a way to somehow please a higher power or manipulate a higher power or get a higher power to do what we want, right? To make things right. We realize things are broken and we need help. Jesus is the last and greatest sacrifice. After him, there are no more sacrifices. In kind of humanity's sacrificial system, we go and we find animals and we kill them and bring them and we bring a sacrifice to hopefully please God, but Jesus is the Lamb of God. Meaning it's not a, a human that is trying to solve a problem, but he is God's solution to the problem of sin, right? It's not Zach's lamb that I brought or your lamb that you brought, but it, this is the Lamb of God sent, that Jesus is the Lamb of God sent to take away the sin of the world. That our sin, our brokenness was so deep within us that it couldn't be washed away with soap or with kind of a, a little sacrificial system we might've set up, but we needed something more powerful. And that Jesus is that sacrifice that has cleansing power to heal what is broken, to cleanse what is broken, to cleanse the sin within us. So if we were to describe why did Jesus have to die? What was going on? One of the ways that John shares with us where to understand this is that Jesus' death is the death of a sacrifice. The Lamb of God who has come 
to provided by God to remove, to take away the sin and the corruption within us all and within the world to bring healing. That brings us to John chapter two. If you'll remember, Jesus spoke about his upcoming death and he talked about it in terms of a temple. He said, you will tear down the temple, but I will raise it again in three days. And John makes a note there that Jesus was speaking about his own body. And this this process of there was in his death and resurrection, there was this recreation of God's temple. And that takes us into the bigger theme that in Christ's death and resurrection, that God is making all things new, that God is making all things new. The storyline of scripture is that God created the world and created the world to be marked with abundant life and to share in his life. That was creation. As humanity turned from God, as we chose sin, the effects of sin are what we call decreation. It is an unraveling of life. We have some pillows in our front yard on a bench that squirrels, much to my chagrin uh, and my wife's frustration, come and they are unraveling those pillows all the time. So there's string all over our front yard. And those pillows that were created for one purpose now are being decreated and the squirrels have a very different purpose for them. God created life created humanity for one purpose. Sin comes and unravels what God created and seeks to repurpose it for its own ends. It's end of death, right? But Jesus has come to bring recreation, that he is taking in death like I shared last week and he's bringing life forth from death. He's bringing new life. He's bringing recreation. The end of the story of scripture, Revelation 21 is that Jesus is making all things new, all things new. We know that in that story, in creation, God creates a garden that Adam and Eve are in, and there they fall, they turn from God in the garden. As you read John 18 this week, take note of all the garden language, that Jesus is seized to be tried in a garden. That when Jesus is crucified on the cross, it makes note that there was a garden nearby that Jesus himself is buried in a tomb in a garden. When he's raised from the dead, Mary comes to see him. And do you know what she confuses Jesus for? A gardener. And so John is highlighting for us that what happened with Adam and Eve in the garden of sin, taking our world and decreating it, that one of the things going on when Christ dies on the cross and rises again is that we're back to a garden. This time, not a garden that ended in death, but a garden that started with death and and ends in life. There's a new Adam that has come, the last Adam. Whereas the first Adam, the fruit of his sin was death for us all. The last Adam, Jesus brings life. And so John is highlighting that for us, starting in chapter two and on through to the very end. In John chapter three, Jesus teaching Nicodemus speaks about this snake that was lifted up in the days of Moses that when people looked to him, looked at the snake, they would find healing, right? They would find healing. And throughout the scriptures, Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection is a form of healing for us all. That as humanity looks to Jesus, that we would find healing in his death 
and his resurrection, that there is power from God, there is medicine from God for the sin and the brokenness that we experience and live in to find healing. So one of the ways that we could describe what happened on the cross and in the resurrection is that God took on the sickness of our world, took it within himself and released healing in its place that we could find healing for our sin. John chapter six, Jesus speaks about that we need to partake of his flesh and drink of his blood. It's a little gruesome. People get weirded out and they're like, we are done here. That's too much for us. What in the world does Jesus mean when he says, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood? Is Jesus the original vampire? No, that's not what he is meaning. He is talking about that he is provided, he is the life of God provided that we might share in God's life. And when Jesus goes to the cross, his physical body is broken like a loaf of bread would be broken. His blood was spilled, his blood was poured out. And one of the ways that John highlights for us that his body broken, his blood poured out, what that means for you and me is literally that God was breaking open his own life to share his life with you and me, that we might share in his life, that we might share in the abundant life found in God. And that's one of the ways that John highlights for us what do we mean when we talk about the cross and the resurrection? And you might say, well, this was God breaking open his own life for us, that we who lost life through sin could find new life in Christ, literally by sharing his life with us. I love that one. That's union and communion. Jesus, on the way to the cross, he goes through a series of trials. He's put on trial with the Jewish leaders and then with the Roman leaders, and he is faced in a court of law. And you'll see that as you read in John 18 this week. You might be like, why is that in there? Why is that part of the way that God chose to have the events unfold? And this points to the imagery of Jesus and our final judgment that is appointed for all people to live and that one day we will be judged for the way that we lived. And here we see Jesus going ahead and though he was innocent, him taking condemnation. You and I, because of sin, we stand condemned as sinners. And Jesus here, though innocent, is taking condemnation that we as sinners might take his innocence that he is taking the final verdict on our behalf, that he is uh, taking that judgment for us. And that when we look to him, this is God taking judgment on himself and bringing life in his place. It's, final, it's the final verdict. I have two more uh, to share with you. John 10, Jesus says, hey, I am the good shepherd. When the thief comes to uh, attack the sheep, I don't run, but I lay my life down. John chapter 10, I lay my life down. Another way that scripture explains the death and the resurrection of Jesus is that the devil has sought to steal, kill, and destroy from all of us. And here is Jesus going out as our good shepherd and having a cosmic battle with the forces of sin, death, and Satan, taking on these spiritual forces, laying his life down that we, his sheep, might be 
protected. He is the victor over the attack. He is the victor over the attack. And then John 19, as Jesus goes to the cross, they, they put a sign over his cross that says, here's the king, Jesus, the king of the Jews. And they put that in various languages. And John is very careful to include that and to include Jesus speaking about his coming kingdom because the cross is where Jesus was inaugurated as king after humanity's rebellion, after the devil's plan to destroy life. Jesus takes on the devil's victorious and now is the reigning king. But he reigns very differently than the kings of this world. He doesn't reign from a palace. He reigns from a cross. His strength, his strength is not an, an army. His strength is in his weakness, that he goes to the cross on our behalf, and there is the king of the universe. And so if someone were to describe, ask you, well, why did Jesus have to die? You could explain this was God coming into a rebellious people and giving his life and being inaugurated as our king to lead us back to eternal life, abundant life that God has for us. I love this. I love the language of the cross and my encouragement to us as we study God's word this week, as we're in John 18 this week, is that we take these words and we let them shape our vocabulary, shape our understanding of why is Jesus dying? What is really going on here? And as we let them shape us, I believe it will shape our enjoyment, our experience, our thankfulness. Is this a full list? No. There are so many more that I could have added, right? There, there's not enough words in the English language to capture all the reasons that Jesus died on the cross. All the beauty, all the mystery, all the power, all the goodness is there. But these are some words that John holds out to us, some, some word pictures that he gives us to explain why did Jesus die? Why did he go to the cross? And one of the fruits that this has brought in my life has brought a greater appreciation and a love for Jesus. And so as we close this time of responding to God's word, listening to God's word, I just wanna lead us in a moment of worship. So if you would stand. If we can get the worship folks to come on up. I'm going to read these over you, and then I just want to invite you again. This morning's all about worshiping Jesus, just for us to worship the Lord together. And then in a moment, we'll transition to the pumpkins. So if you bow your heads and just pray with me, and then we're going to worship Jesus. Thank you that you are our example, that the life that you lived is the most compelling life it is the perfect example of what it looks like for us to live a truly full and good life. And then you went to the cross as our example of what it looks like, of what love looks like. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the sacrifice. You are God's chosen sacrifice to take away our sin and the sin of the whole world. That the sin that's so deep within us, Lord, you cleanse us, God. You bring cleansing. There's no solution that we as humans could come up with for the corruption within us, Lord. But you are that antidote. You are the one that brings cleansing. You are making all things new. Thank you that you are the last Adam. We're the first Adam 
The fruit of his life brought death. You as the last Adam, the fruit of your life is life, is is restoration, is redemption. Thank you that you are making all things new. Thank you that our story is a story uh, of, of creation, decreation, and now recreation. Recreation after the ways and the things of God. Thank you that you are our healer. You are the one who is lifted up. You are the medicine of God. Medicine provided by God to heal the broken places within us, in our relationships, and in our world. Thank you that you gave your life and opened yourself up that though we had rejected life with you and lost our way, that you opened up your very life to share with us the life that is within you. That in you, we find union and communion with God. That in you, we are invited to share in your full and abundant life. Thank you that you on the cross have taken our final verdict that we, though guilty, can stand innocent. And you, though innocent, took on our guilt and our condemnation, Lord. That we can look ahead to the final judgment with confidence, not because of what we've done, but because of who you are. Thank you that you took our verdict, Lord, and you gave us yours in its place. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the victor that we are under attack from the thief, under attack from the enemy, Lord, and even willing participants in that enemy's plans, the devil's plans for our life, Lord. You didn't leave us, but you went out ahead of us. You are the good shepherd who lays down your life for the sheep. And on the cross, you took on Satan, you took on sin, and you took on death and you emerged victorious through your death and in the resurrection, Lord, you are our victory. Jesus, you are the reigning king, but on the cross, you were crowned as king over all. And you don't reign in the ways of the rulers of this world, Lord. You reign through weakness, through humility, through forgiveness, through righteousness, through goodness, through sacrifice, and you are reigning even now. And we join with the songs of heaven today. We join with the songs of the church through the ages. And we just acknowledge you as our King, our soon and coming King. We thank you that you have defeated death. We thank you that you have defeated Satan. We thank you that you have defeated sin, Lord, and your kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness. And you have made us citizens of your new kingdom, Lord. Not a kingdom of this world. Not a kingdom of the governments of this world. But of your kingdom, Lord. And we lift you up today, Jesus. We honor you in this place. As the worship team leads us, I want to invite you to respond.